Hello, everybody out there in the world. Welcome back to another episode of Bathtub Full of Questions. We are, well, I say we're excited every week, so I'm, I'm just not going to say we're excited. We're yeah, today looking we're, forward. Today we're especially not excited about it. Yeah, we're, we really don't believe but in this hope, topic at we all. We hope you guys are believers in the wonderful world of pets. That's right. This, what are we calling it? The Petisode? Petiso, we'll have to think of some name, but that kind of sounds catchy. The the manic menagerie, something something like that. Yeah, the, we're these the zoological. Uh, yeah, never Bonanza. Mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, like I said, we're not excited at all. No, we're, we're just kidding. We're actually very excited. We're all we're pet owners ourselves. Um, we're excited to talk everything pets. Uh, some maybe some pet history, interesting pets, expensive pets, weird pets, adoption, all of that. It's gonna be it's gonna be a jam-packed episode. Um, so without further ado, let's dive right in. So, Andrea, you said we're both pet owners. You must be quite the pet owner because there's a huge box from our sponsor here today for you, um, Chewy.com, where pet lovers shop. Yeah, I have no idea where that box came from. Oh, it sure just came from from work. I I don't know if it, it's not for Ned, I don't think. <laughs> what, what is in there? Um, it looks like a Christmas decoration. Okay, I think it's probably where that Christmas tree came from. There's a Christmas tree in my living room I found when I came home from work, so... It is funny that the day we're talking about pets, there happens to be a massive chewy box on my couch. Um, Not that we're in the living room, though. We're obviously in the bathroom. We're just using hindsight to remember. Yeah. Um, I think you might be hiding an alligator in the basement. hmm. Well, close. I have a a salamander upstairs. Ah, well, same thing. Yeah, maybe just perfect natural transition to talking about our history with pets. Uh, right now, I'm a very proud pet owner of a cute little axolotl named Ned, uh, named after Lord Ned Stark, Warden of the North, um, and former Hand of the King to Robert Baratheon, um, the most honorable man I know. Um, I've had uh, Ned for about a year now. He was from a batch of eggs that my brother's axolotls hatched, actually, and we're getting along just fine. He's getting too big for his tank. Oh, man, you're going to have to upgrade pretty soon. Yeah, I might. Well, I, I kind of wanted to get him a little axolotl hot tub, but they prefer colder temp water. So uh, a little axolotl cold tub. Yeah. Also, maybe he, can, maybe he can hang out here in the bathtub with us for an episode or two. Maybe I could have a little axolotl TV that plays MTV all the time. But it's just like axolotl underwater. singing classic eighties hits. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Something like that. So maybe I'll get him a little TV or or a breakfast nook in his tank for Christmas. Yeah, I don't know. You know where they probably sell that kind of stuff? Chewy.com. Chewy.com. They sell axolotl sectionals yep. <laughs> on their website. Man, I'll have to check that out. Hey, um, any of you uh, pet owners looking for a little holiday special, a little holiday treat for any of your furry little friends, uh, be sure to step over to Chewy.com. We're, we're really, I think that's probably the third time we've plugged them. Yeah, but um, pre- be sure to use code tubful of pets. Double of pets. Yep, that, that is a real promo code that will work on the website. <laughs> to, add, to add $20 to your order. <laughs> to add, yeah, to add a shipping charge. Um, but yeah, so uh, like I said, I own Ned. I have Ned right now, very proud owner. But um, 
my family's owned fish our entire lives. My brother had a saltwater aquarium tank, which was really, really cool. Man, um, those, that, those take a little bit because you got to get the get to get the ratios all right and everything. It is incredibly expensive and time consuming. Oh, I bet. I mean, you're taking a little part of a coral reef and you're putting it in, in your house in Columbus. So, <laughs> of course, there's going to be a lot of work working against nature in that. Um, so that you have to buy live rock. I mean, he didn't even have a live coral. Live coral is insane. The, the precious pH balance that you have to have and the nutrient balance in the tanks, it's just really hard. Um, but he had – the fish are also really expensive too, but it was it was really cool. He kind of had to drop it when he moved to college, but – Oh, so we, he just dumped them in Lake Erie? Yeah, he dumped – yeah, so if, if you find – if you find clownfish uh, at Car Pond or any <laughs> any large body of water in Ohio, uh, you can thank my brother for introducing invasive exotic fish. Uh, <laughs> no, he uh, no he dumped them in the Cuyahoga River actually, so oh. they probably burned alive. Oh jeez, <laughs> um, or got eaten by lake freshwater mussels or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we had we had um, we had a lot of fish tanks, a lot of freshwater tanks. I used to own tree frogs. I was. I was, you know, I'm not, it's a little bit about me. I'm not a traditional cats and dogs kind of guy. Oh, really? Like, I love dogs. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm picking a pet, I was, I'll pick like a frog or a salamander or something slimy. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that when I, um, when I was younger, I always liked like catching frogs, keeping them like yeah. a little like frog pond for them or snakes. I would like catch a snake out in the woods and then keep it in a bucket for a little bit and then let it go at the end of the day. Um, one thing I really wanted when I was little was a python. And so uh, my dad had a coworker who she had a bunch of exotic pets or she would like hold on to them for a little while, things like that, and then um, give them either to the zoo or different things. So she at one time had a pet monkey, which I thought was really cool. Um, but Ooh, one cool. time I got to babysit their python for a week and had to feed it mice and everything and i thought it was the coolest thing to have in my room but um after a little while it does kind of start to smell so <laughs> good thing i was only babysitting it for a week you were you were a python sitter yeah <laughs> do you think there's a, a website for that to find snake sitters <laughs> probably or, or python sitters <laughs> hey we'll have we'll have our data guy look that up yeah we'll have dana we'll have dana fact check that um yeah i so you said you python sat i actually had live tree frogs which were really really cool. They were dumpies tree frogs. They're kind of white fat. Like they were like these tubby you say dumpies. Yeah, dumpy, <laughs> dumpy tree frogs, and they were kind of fat, which is funny. Um, but um, yeah, they they were really fun. They were also really hard to take care of because you know frogs are amphibious, so they have to be a certain have to be a certain amount of moist. And I had this little spritz bottle I was supposed to use to like spray them down every so often. Oh, but as a third grader, you know, I hadn't really developed uh, an adult sense of responsibility, especially when it came to pet stewardship. So I just forgot to spray my frogs a lot of the time, and one of them oh, dried out and God, died. Man, I hate I hate when you come home from school and you're like, shoot, I forgot to spray my frogs. Oh, it's, oh, it's the fifth thing on the list to frog spray. Spray <laughs> frogs. Gosh, yeah. I gotta send it. I gotta return an order on Amazon. Oh, I've got a, I got a peer cool. in court. I'm on, I got jury duty as a <laughs> middle schooler. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. So these yeah, do look just, pretty, thanks Dana for pulling this up. These yeah. Pretty Australian green tree frog. I like dumpy frog. a little Yeah. Bit it's, <laughs> yeah. So they're from the Australian rainforest. Um, and then, so one dried out and died because of my negligence. Oh, no. um, and then another one um, got a rare fungus and was killed. 
um, which honestly would be kind of uh, frighteningly indicative of what would happen to frog populations worldwide with uh, the chytrid fungus that's sort of spreading and devastating tropical frogs. Um, I don't know if it's chytrid or not, but yeah, um, yeah, that was a bummer. I also had, I bought like, I was at Meyer one time, which Meyer has a pet section. It's a grocery store with a pet section. So no one thinks that's sure, weird. Are you sure that's not just the buy the live fish for dinner tonight section? I mean, they're they're like goldfish. So if anyone, I mean, maybe someone's cooking up goldfish stir fry or something, yeah. but I'm pretty sure it's a pet section. Um, they have these like red crabs. So I'm like, I'll get a red crab. So I put, I got a little goldfish bowl, filled it half with water. I put a big rock in the middle and then I set my crab down. And then the crab kind of latched onto the rock. I was like, okay. I mean, he was just kind of freaked out. It's a new home. I leave. I come back like a day later and he's still latched there. I push him over and he's dead. Oh, like man. he just latched on immediately the, died. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds of... like you don't have the greatest luck with these weird. <laughs> I guys. don't. Maybe you should stick to regular cats and dogs. Kind of. Maybe that's why we weren't excited for this episode is because <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah. Of I have memories. a, I, I, have, I have a tragic past of, that has laid waste to many, a. uh, Many an amphibious or reptilian uh, friend. Uh, see, with, with I've just me. laid wa- I've, I've just laid a wake of death. Yeah, in my in, in my I've laid death in my wake. All of all of the pets that we've had usually live for a pretty long time, but we've had classic cats and dogs in my family, except for the pet pig that I had for eleven years. Oh, pet, a- potbelly pig. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, you're so. a far more responsible <laughs> pet owner than I am. But yeah, we built built her a little kind of miniature barn and stuff, and. Is pretty interesting. I like to say that she was able to play fetch, but it would just be like you would have like a bread roll and then you'd toss it in her cage and then she'd walk over to it, grab it and eat it on her way back to you expecting another one. But I was kind of like, oh, it was kind of like fetch. <laughs> it was kind of, instead of fetch, it was eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Just eat. <laughs> um, that's funny. I had to give one more Mearson pet horror story. Um, we kind of, my brother, sister and I kind of all owned this hamster. Um, oh, no, I can see this. I mean, hamsters well. just die all the Hamsters are just. You look at them funny a, and yeah, they pass away. Yeah, they just die all the time, and sometimes in very violent ways, like this one. Uh, oh. Basically, like we, Trigger we fed we fed our hamster these like fat, fat pellets that it would just eat, and the, the hamster became definitely overweight. Oh, um, and he had like a little tube that connected him from his like first floor to the second floor. Which, honestly, hamsters kind of have a sweet setup. You know, they've got like. As far as as far gym. as animal as far as pet homes go, they basically got, they live in a jungle gym. They've got like little hangout area, little hangout tunnels. They got wheels. They got a water thing. Like you know, it's mm-hmm. like it's like they live their own little bachelor pad. <laughs> you know, they got drinks. They got food. They've got like a cozy area, tubes to play. I don't know. Tubes. It's just kind of cool. It's yeah, like a jungle I can't gym. wait till I have my bachelor pad and I've got <laughs> tubes. Playing, playing in tubes. <laughs> yeah, tubes that. I can climb up. Also I can climb vertically as, up a tube to my second floor instead of also, using the stupid stairs. Also known as the McDonald's play place that I'm yeah. gonna buy. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, it got really fat and it tried to scurry up the tube and it got stuck halfway through the middle. And you guys and didn't was, catch on to it? Well, it was in the middle of the night, so everyone was asleep. Oh man. Um and then it turned out that uh it suffocated and died in the tube. Oh. So Yeah, maybe we should just keep this guy over here from owning it yeah maybe we'll see how ned does maybe i'm just not maybe i'm just learning by speaking all this out loud that i should not own pets for the sake of animal welfare i mean hey some people just don't own pets but about 60 percent of the world does own pets as a quick little pet fact yeah actually so americans own around 78 million dogs 85 million cats 14 million birds 12 million small mammals 
and 9 million reptiles. Um, so like 44% of American homes have dogs and 35% have cats, which yeah. is pretty remarkable. And fish actually wasn't on that list, but there's about 142.5 million freshwater fish in American homes, I believe. Wow. So they're, they are by far the most popular pet in America. But also, I don't know how much you can really consider a fish a pet. Not saying that you guys aren't pet owners if you have fish, but they just kind of sit there and hang yeah. out. Yeah. And like you can have a koi pond with 20 koi in there and you don't really have to do much for them. Yeah. So you can count them as 20 pets. So yeah, to kind of go into maybe a little bit of pet history. So um, the Sumerians were actually the first people to keep cap live captive fish. That was around 12,000 years ago. Now there is evidence that they kept those for food. The Chinese were the first people to breed fish for aesthetic reasons. Uh, like you think, you think of all the beautiful fish of like koi, mm -hmm. you know, like goldfish are from China. Um, all those like beautiful ornamental fish. They were bred by the imperial family and different royalty as, as a status of wealth. And actually, um, mankind has always brought along its furry friends. Ever since we first started walking the earth, uh, man has always had furry companions. Um, there's evidence actually that um, the University of Maine in 2011 discovered uh, dog skulls um, from Texas 9,400 years ago. Wow. Um, and there's evidence that domestication of dogs first happened in Europe around 16,000 years ago. And it happened around 14,000 years ago in Asia um, yeah. from two different wolf lineages. And a skull found in Belgium is from, from 34,000 years ago is possibly the first dog that ever existed. So 34,000. Wow. Yeah. So again, mankind has had furry friends for almost its entire time on yeah. earth. That's, that's interesting. It really says a lot about like the human animal bond that, there's just something innate about that connects kind of those two walks of life. Yeah. And you especially see it in cats and dogs. I mean, the Romans kept small toy. They were the first people to keep small toy dogs. Um, that was more of a wealth status thing. Yeah. Um, Egyptians kept a lot of pets from monkeys to um, lions. But then obviously the most popular in Egypt were cats. Oh, yeah. Cats. Yeah. So there's actually um, – there was a uh, cemetery in Ben Hassan that was that had – uh, 300,000 cat mummies inside Dang. of it. Yeah, because they would mummify their cats in order to bring them along with them to the underworld. Yeah, and they were they were also kind of considered guardians of the underworld. And, and uh, worship of the female cat goddess Bastet uh, meant killing cats in ancient Egypt was punishable by death. Um, and cats have kind of cats cats have been around ever since uh, we first developed agricultural societies around 12,000 years ago, um, because. That's when we started storing grain, and then it became useful to keep cats around yeah, to protect to get, against to mice. mice. Yeah. So, and then obviously dogs. Uh, there's theories that we would like, we would hunt alongside dogs, and there's like this whole. It's called like the junkyard theory, where basically we would throw food out, and then like increase like docile wolves would come and eat, and then realize by staying around humans they could receive food without as much of a cost as hunting it down. Mm -hmm. And then more and more, and then humans began to work alongside like wolves, and they became more and more docile until they became pretty much a part of yeah. human society. And, and like you said, animals have been a part of human society for thousands of years, whether it was the ancient Chinese or the Sumerians or the Romans. Um, you know, pugs were the dogs of the emperors, you know, all kinds yeah. of, kind of stuff. It seems interesting that Oh, yes, from mighty wolves. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you eventually breed down to pugs that are just a, yeah. little, a little pig dog. And all <laughs> dogs are the same species, you know, which is crazy. Like, you know, like they're all yeah. so different morphologically, like as in far as body appearance goes, but they're all the same species. Um, 
Oh, and yeah, and it's funny because you know we talk about a long history of dogs. Um, pure pure breeding became all the craze, um, and it became the distinction of wealth of European royalty in the Victorian era. So basically, like it was a point in human history where there'd been en- there was enough wealth and and technological advancements for people to be comfortable and have free time. So a lot of European royalty began to breed dogs as sort of signs of wealth. Um, so that's pure breeding kind of kept o- pure breeding kind of took over around uh, the Victorian era. And that's why you got all these funky looking dog species that really genetically are not like are so inbred that they have all kinds of genetic problems like Cavalier King Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to own those in my family. They've got they're notorious for heart diseases. Pugs and bulldogs have terrible like breathing problems. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of but became all the rage around 200 years ago. They look like and now fans of. Yeah, exactly. And now, stu- now Purina, big dog, is <laughs> yeah, perpetuating, dog is further food. perpetuating inbreeding with their ridiculously entertaining Thanksgiving show, Thanksgiving dog shows. Yeah. So that's you. So, oh yeah, I guess a little sidetrack. Usually, watch the Macy's Day Parade or the the dog show. I feel like I feel like families are usually one or the other. Yeah, I didn't watch either this year. Interesting. For, like for real. Yeah, I guess I didn't really watch either, but like usually, I don't know, we turn on the dog show, if anything, besides until football comes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. And it's like interesting that, like, I mean, a lot of the time I think, man, it'd be, why did we domesticate wolves and not bears? Because it'd be yeah, cool to have like, a little bear around. But there's a lot of different things that go into kind of like domesticating animals. Like what can become pets? Pretty yeah, much. like. Yeah, like what can become pets? Because like cows can like they're easy to like domesticate. Obviously, people don't a lot, have a lot of cows as pets, but you can, and lots of people do. But like, yeah, like things like bears, it's really hard to have them be pets just because they are kind of more. They're not very social mm-hmm. um, in the same aspect that dogs are, or they like, kind of like live in herds. Um, one of the biggest things for domestication is being able to have multiple offspring in the terms of like a year period Mm -hmm. um, just because then it kind of lets you do more, I guess, um, in terms of creating the type of attitude that you want. Fast generational turnarounds allow you to sort of like selectively, more easily selectively pick pick out like, oh, docile dogs or like docile animals, animals that look like this, you know, you can sort of manipulate the genetics a little more easier if there's a fast turnaround. Yeah, you can manipulate just a lot faster than if something like can only have one offspring a year or two or something like that. So that's why we have horses and not zebras pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As much as I wish we would have domesticated zebras, zebras, that would have been sick. Like kind of like racing stripes. Yeah. You probably haven't thought about that movie in since 2009. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I always thought it was cool that there was a racing zebra in that. Um, yeah, that's probably a good setup for the history of pets and some quick pet facts. Um, after the break, we're going to go into some like weird pets, expensive pets, and actually animals being used in war. Um, so yeah, we're excited for that. We're going to take a quick break and hear something from our sponsor. We just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Bathtub Full of Questions, Season 3. This episode is brought to you by World War II in Color on Netflix. For you history buffs out there who aren't colorblind, thanks again for watching. 
Okay, we're back. Let's give just a quick round of applause for our great sponsor today. Thank you for sponsoring the Petisode, yes. uh, the episode we've been most excited about. Uh, but yeah, we, we sort of set up a little history of pets to sort of continue that. I, I thought a really interesting topic was uh, pets in the war or animals in war. Um, so there's a long history of man and beast fighting alongside one another against its enemies. Um, one of the one of the ones that I think was that was really interesting. Um, well, first of all, you got to go all the way back to war elephants. Yep. I mean, Hannibal. that's like the yeah, that's like the, <laughs> yeah, like Hannibal um, was a Carth Carthaginian general who led elephants across the snowy Alps into Rome and basically laid waste to the Roman countryside for 15 years with his war elephants. Yeah. Im imagine you are geared up, ready to go for for war, and then just over the mountains <laughs> come yeah. these massive creatures that you've probably never seen before. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, that would be pr like pretty terrifying. Also, it's, it's just like in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the Oliphants <laughs> where Sam is freaked out. He's yeah. like, look, Frodo, an Oliphant. Um, yeah, I can't imagine what Roman soldiers must have thought. Somehow he still lost. He, he still yeah, lost to uh, General, uh, General Scipio Africanus um, in 202 BC, but he first crossed the Alps in Italy around 218 BC. Um, so, yeah, he still lost, and that ended the Second Punic War. Um, so, yeah, war elephants have always been, have always been fascinating. But apparently um, Pliny the Elder wrote about um, – Sort of an, a war elephant deterrent where they were called war pigs. War pigs. <laughs> Basically, you probably think of like I don't, like Black Sabbath. Yeah, Black Sabbath. You <laughs> Black probably Sabbath. think you're probably thinking of Black Sabbath. Let me correct a common misconception about war pigs. Um, basically, what they would do it was kind of brilliant. Uh, they would send out these pigs into battle, um, and they would run underneath the elephants and squeal, and then oh, the elephants would scary. freak out yeah. and then throw the people off and. Oh, interesting. So that was that was sort of a, a war elephant deterrent, so to speak, were war pigs. I'm surprised they didn't use war mice, but that would probably be uh, – they probably couldn't convince the mice to go out there and do that. Yeah, that was the problem is they <laughs> couldn't talk the mice into going out. And they, yeah, yeah, they were too concerned for their own safety. Yeah. Um, no, also, are, are mice – are elephants actually afraid of mice or is that just I kind of like something like cartoons a cartoon. invented? Yeah, it's a cartoon thing. just the juxtaposition of the two. Yeah, but they – Fine with fine with mice. Apparently, don't not a big fans of pigs for whatever reason. Sorry to your uh, sorry to your um. Oh, well, I mean that's why we never had pack. any elephants back <laughs> yeah, back around home on the ranch <laughs> yeah, in, in Minnesota. We kept them out. We kept them out of there. <laughs> well, actually, maybe your pig kept them out. Yeah, you not have to worry in about. The middle of yeah, the night, you didn't have any elephants stop. You don't have to worry drug. about yeah elephant trespassing. That's maybe why. Maybe that's why you had it around in the first place. Maybe that's something your parents thought of. Um, sort of. Yeah, pigs are still used as elephant deterrents to this day. Um, oh, I guess, yeah, because they will come in around farms in Africa and stuff, and they cause a lot of damage. Oh, well, I was more referring to just your, your house in Minnesota oh. <laughs> like, being evidence that war pigs are still used. Um, so, yeah, um, they were used uh, – war elephants were actually used by uh, the Kingdom of the Kush in the Roman Empire. Um, apparently, there are legends of war rhinoceroses. That would be Which would be really, really cool. The evidence is not great. It comes from one picture by a historian in 1515. Um, but what most scholars agree on is that, uh, one, rhinos don't really see very well, and they're probably too aggressive and ornery to be effectively used in battle. Oh, but yeah. I'd like to think that at some point in our long history of humans killing each other, that elephants were part of or that rhinos, rhinos. were part of it. Yeah. Um, elephants and rhinos. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um 
Apparently, Ramses II, who was the third pharaoh of the 19th dynasty of Egypt, had a pet lion that fought alongside him in the Battle of Kadesh, which is just, I can't think, I've, I cannot think of a cooler image in my head. Like, that's that's the making of an dr- epic movie. Yeah, it's, you march out to the front, your lion is roaring next to you. you charge yeah. The <laughs> I mean, I think, I thought of like Rob Stark and his direwolf, oh, yeah. Greywind, in Game of Thrones, fighting alongside each other. Um, that was, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, that that is just really cool imagery to me. Um, and then if we if we go a little bit more to the modern day, um, actually, it's really fascinating. Sixteen million animals served in World War One. Um, they were used for transport, communication, uh, and companionship. Um, ho- obviously, horses were used in cavalry, but also there was a camel cavalry used during World War One by some armies, which is just insane. Um, donkeys carried food and tra- uh, ammunition. Uh, canaries were actually used to detect poisonous gas on the front. Oh yeah, um, like they would do, like same in the coal mines. Yeah, exactly. That's if, where, if, that's where it came from. If if coal mines became unsuitable for work, if if a canary died, it was evidence that gas had been released. Um, other stuff: cats and dogs were used to uh, hunt rats in the trenches. Um, and actually, the French trained Red Cross dogs. Uh, they wore little harnesses containing medical equipment. They'd actually run out onto the like onto the front the Western front and bring medical supplies to soldiers wounded on the battlefield. So you still even see that today in like uh, ski, like ski patrol stuff, or at least you used to with the, like a St. Bernard with the, yeah, like, yeah. Like the medical supplies and to help search for avalanche victims. Yeah. St. Bernard's yeah. Are used in like on the Swiss Italian border for we're bred for rescue. They were service dogs. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Apparently, also FDR during World War II sent a destroyer to the Aleutian Islands to pick up his Scotty dog, um, which is funny. But a lot of animals were used in World War One. There's actually a famous image of horses wearing gas masks, like they have these oh, little I've sacks over their one. face. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was I, that's like a really fascinating little historical tidbit. And then one, if we look at oh god, I was gonna say one of my favorite ones um, that you brought up to talk about is uh, Wojtek. Oh yeah, yeah, Wojtek. He is awesome. I was actually gonna just start talking about him. <laughs> yeah, he um yeah, Wojtek was a Syrian bear. He was a Syrian brown bear, um, and he was actually part of the Polish army. Uh he was a corporal in the Polish army, which is pretty insane. Um apparently I've seen pictures of him where people are like the Polish army is sitting next to him, like um next to a cart and stuff and they're Talking shop or something. Talking talking shop about (laughs) talking war shop. Um, yeah. Apparently, um, the he uh, Wojciech was bought by the the Polish Second Corps at a railway station in Iran. They were fleeing a Soviet country. Um, and the bear kind of followed them around throughout the war. Uh, to be uh, to be allowed to take him around, they actually gave him the rank of private and was listed as a soldier in the in the Polish army. Um, and as I said, he was eventually um promoted a corporal for bravery in, in the face of battle. Um, he actually accompanied the corp, the Polish corps, second corps to Italy and served in the 22nd artillery company. Um, and during the battle of Monte Cassino in 1944, he helped move crates of ammunition around. So he was essential to the Polish war effort. Um, and he, uh, he was, he was, dis- he was honorably discharged from the <laughs> Polish army uh, and spent the rest of his life in the Edinburgh zero zoo. So, he was a. I mean, if if there ever was a bear that deserved the Congressional Medal of Honor, it was probably yeah, Wojciech, the Syrian brown bear. Yeah. Um, esteemed corporal of the Polish army. Um, so yeah, and, and other animals were used in World War II. Not as many as um, in World War One. 
but we still we still actually use animals in our military today. Oh yeah, for sure. Lots of dogs. Like dogs become, um, they're very essential to the to the war effort in many cultures and police uh, police efforts, like investigative work, bomb threats. Yeah, like, like a lot of stuff. They were used in Afghanistan to sniff out bombs. Actually, the Soviets during World War II tried out this experimental anti-tank deterrent. Um, they basically used dogs as anti-tank weapons. They strapped them with bombs and they trained them to run underneath tanks um, to blow them up. So obviously that's kind of sad that dogs died that way, um, but apparently it was mixed in its success. So I guess it wasn't all bad. Um, at least they didn't use it that much. Um, but yeah, and, and, and like outside of using uh, animals as weapons, they're also used in a lot of other capacities in the history of war. So homing pigeons were famous for carrying messages to and from the front lines of battle. Um, and actually pigeon photography was used for espionage um, during World War One and World War II. And as of right now, um, the U.S. Navy has, this, has a marine mammal program that uses military dolphins and sea lions for underwater sentry duty, mine clearance, and object recovery. Um, so yeah, we've been using animals in a lot of different regards. I mean, did you know there was a whole branch of our Navy that, that uh, like made up of dolphin Dolphins. and sea lion soldiers? <laughs> I've, I've heard of those things. Again, I've seen some documentaries like where they're training them, but I didn't know exactly to the extent that it is still used. Yeah. I mean, have you ever thanked a dolphin for its service? I mean, oh, yeah. we thank, we thank <laughs> army and army men and Navy men and Navy men and women all the time for their service, rightfully so. But Seems like dolphins and sea lions are unsung heroes of the yeah. Navy. Maybe all the ones that hang around the piers in San Francisco. Maybe they need a little bit of love. A salute. Yeah. <laughs> a pier salute. Yeah. I, think we should, I think we should get our... Man, we know somebody who lives out in San Francisco. Maybe they could go toss a fish or two to the sea lions. To thank if, them for their to service. To thank them for their service. <laughs> maybe... Ah, oh, but I can't remember who it is. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you live in San Francisco, maybe uh, maybe Jim, jump out there and... Give, give him a little salute swim. the troops. Yeah. Salute the troops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, oh, he has a Dutch. That's who lives. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, he's probably not even going to listen to this anyway. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he probably won't even hear this. We won't post it on Apple Spot. We won't put it on <laughs> Apple Music, so he won't hear it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're still used today. Um, one last story that I think is interesting. Um, we're going to have to go way, way back to the time of Alexander the Great. Um, he had a very famous uh, horse named Bucephalus. Um, he's probably the most famous horse of antiquity. Um, basically, this was a horse that Alexander the Great tamed himself. Um, and he basically used it in all of his conquests from the Greek world all the way to the far corners of the world, the Indian Empire, the edges of the Indian Empire, um, in modern day Pakistan. Uh, him and his horse Bucephalus served together for around 20 years in battle. Um, basically, at, at the time, uh, Bucephalus was of uh, Thessian strain, which were like the most prized horses at the time. And he, he was so big and wild that no one could no one could tame him. But what Alexander the Great did, he was only like 11 or 12 at the time. He walks up to the horse, talks to it. He talked to, to it gently and he actually let it into the sun so it couldn't see its shadow anymore oh. and tamed it that way. Wow. Um, and it was sort of this horse of destiny because it had this white star on its forehead. Um and there's all these prophecies about a great warrior riding a white-starred ox-headed horse into battle. Um, so, yeah, he rode. He ended up taming Bucephalus. Um, and his father, Philip, was so impressed that he, he famously said, Oh, my son, look. Oh, my. He said, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's old English. 
O my son, look thee out a kingdom equal and worthy of thy of thyself, for Macedonia is too little for thee. Um, so him and Bucephalus were basically best friends. They fought in battles. Um, and he eventually, he ended up naming a city after his horse, uh, Bucephala in Pakistan. Uh, that's how much his horse meant to him. Wow. And apparently after his horse was kidnapped, uh, after he defeated uh, some Persian empire, Darius, Persian emperor Darius, and his horse was kidnapped, was kidnapped. And he threatened to cut down every tree and slaughter every person in the region if his horse wasn't his returned horse to him. Um, so Eusephilus was returned with a plea of mercy uh, from the local inhabitants. Um, but yeah, he was in all of Alexander the Great's major battles as he conquered the known world. Um, and he actually ended up passing away in Alexander's last battle, uh, the Battle of the Hyd- Hydraspes in 326 BCE. Um, but they fought together for 20 years. Um, it's pretty insane. Um, so yeah, he's easily the most famous horse from history, probably. He's, uh, Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enough about pets in, in ancient times. Let's talk okay. about some pets today. Let's talk about some weird pets some weird that ones, people some, own today. Some modern, some modern ones, some expensive ones. I was just thinking about this a little bit. Last time I was, last time I was at, uh, the, the Columbus Zoo, would you consider a zoo just an expensive expensive pet store um that you that's really not that expensive as long as nobody's looking yeah i mean with all the stuff coming out of jack hannah we're kind of learning more and more that columbus it was a big <laughs> yeah, pet store with how much he sold animals was. so um yeah honestly you have to think that if there was a wealthy enough person who came to the zoo it's probably a, every animal has a price tag on it. It's just like a big, it's yeah, just a big exclusive pet store. Especially depending on who's running the place at the time. Yeah, because I mean, most of us are, are not wealthy enough. So it's just like they just invite us. Like most of us are just not wealthy enough to consider buying. We just have to come and look. Um, we just have to come and look. Um, <laughs> we we don't have the kind of money. We, we, we But it may be yeah. if we came in like, with with some real dollars yeah with a, with a couple million a couple million and then and say hey i want to buy this this uh this penguin yeah so um yeah so yeah I, you could probably make an argument that zoos are modern are expensive pet big, big stores expensive pet stores to talk about maybe some maybe some pet prices right now um so you you have your cheap animals like your fit your your freshwater fish you your get hamsters for a couple cents at the Walmart or you know like if you just win them in a, at a carnival game <laughs> there's like this atrocious water cooler filled with a thousand goldfish that yeah. has to be a hippo not a hippo violation not a patient <laughs> privacy violation but it has to be a pedo violation has to be a war crime it has to be against the <laughs> yeah Geneva it, yeah it doesn't violate the Geneva Accords um you, yeah, you can, but all the way up you have those all the way up to obviously thoroughbred horses bred for racing and yes depending on their lineage can be many millions of dollars Cuckoo bucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah um it's just funny how we just happen to talk about the columbus zoo like almost every episode people don't <laughs> care that no way anyone cares that much about it, as much as i do or maybe even you um but yeah yeah there's a huge price i mean guinea pigs 10 to 40 dollars ferrets you can get them from around uh 75 to 250 dollars chinchillas yeah. from around 80 to 150 yeah depending on depending on the dog that you're getting if you're getting a purebred or if yeah you, where you're getting it from it's an esteemed breeder they can be upwards of a thousand dollars for certain breeds 
which the interesting thing about chinchillas is you can't they can't, you can't they're from the andes mountains you can't traditionally wash them you have to use yeah. volcanic ash yeah to one, clean of, them. one of my buddies actually had a pet chinchilla for a while and you have to have give them this like little area or um, have them have, be in their chinchilla ball, put a little volcanic ash yeah, in there and they'll run, around, they'll run around and <laughs> they'll, they'll clean themselves. In there. But man, they are so soft. Yeah. So they're really cool, really rare, but they go for around 80 to $150. Chameleons are another pet you can own, um, which are, they cost for anywhere from 30 to $300, but they can cost anywhere from 300 to $500 a year to keep, yeah. to like maintain. Yeah, I mean, reptiles and, are, are tough to, yeah, just the like just the initial cost of the pet is one thing, but then lots of pets have a lot more maintenance that are needed. Um, one story I read about a Tibetan mastiff, like they're the world's largest breed of dog, um, and they'll you can get them for like like a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, but then also or a couple thousand dollars, obviously. Like if but if you're looking for like a true blooded one. Um, in 2011, the most expensive one was sold for $1.5 million. Yep. Yep. The, the red purebred Tibetan Mastiff. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and those, but then also after you buy it for that much money, they eat so much, they require so much exercise and grooming plus the medical costs for them for such a big dog. Um, and all dogs and most pets in general come with, Obviously, you're gonna have to get the vaccines, the food. The yeah. Oh gosh. Surgery, yeah. anything they might need. It adds up for sure. Yeah. You mentioned like those mastiffs are so rare. They usually go for around five hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. But you said the the most expensive one was sold for one point five million. Um, there was this one Labrador named Sir Lancelot Encore, um, and he was sold for sixteen million dollars because he was the first successfully cloned dog. Um, wow. So yeah, these are kind of the goo goo bucks pets. Um, St. Bernard's around $1,500 each uh, mm -hmm. just because they're rare. Um, you know, and, and they were originally bred as service dogs to work on the Italian Swiss board in the Alps and rescue avalanche victims, as we said. Um, and obviously the movie Beethoven kind of <laughs> just set them into orbit as far yeah. as popularity goes. Yeah, you can definitely see how movies and even shows influence a lot of people to get things like um, – even I mean, after at the beginning of quarantine, Tiger King, when that came out, lots of people, even though it was kind of about how it's so bad to own these big cats and everything, um, and that's not the lifestyle that these big cats were meant for, people are still interested oh. in how can I get some? <laughs> what is wrong with the human race? Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> or like in oh like, find, like finding Nemo, clownfish, if you know how to take care of them, are um, like some like somewhat easier if you have the saltwater fish tank and everything yeah you know how hard that is but then um i forget what the type of fish that dory was paulette surgeon fish yeah those take a lot of different care for like a lot of lot more to care for so it's kind of it's kind of tough it's, it's also funny because paulette surgeon fish and clownfish are radically different sizes and in the movie <laughs> that like dory and uh marlin are kind of the same exact size yeah um but yeah, I mean, saltwater tanks are really expensive. Some other expensive dog breeds, Irish wolfhounds go for around $3,000. French bulldogs can be around six grand. Canadian Eskimo dogs around, or can be upwards of $9,000. Uh, just because they're the oldest and rarest working dog. They're actually over a thousand years old. They were brought over by the Thule people from Siberia to Canada. There's only around 300 left in the world. Um, and 
kind of talking about to sort of close off this talk about purebred dogs. I know I literally just condemned the Purina, Purina as a company <laughs> for perpetuating inbreeding. Um, but little fun fact, a little fun news from the pet world. Um, the Purina, the Purina champion best in show of 2021 was a Scottish deerhound named Claire. I mean, Claire is actually the first dog to win twice in a row in the last 20 years. Twice. Wow. So, I mean, that's one, that's one best in show away from a triple crown in the, in the Purina <laughs> in world. The, in the Purina dog show world. Hey, next Thanksgiving, we'll see if she can hang on to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little bit about pets. Just to run through a few, a few other weird pets that people have owned. Um, there was this Roman named Lucius Licinius Murina. Um, and he, he kept 6,000 moray eels in special pools around his property. And he fed them um, live slaves, which is horrible. Oh, goodness. Um, but um, other stuff, uh, Pope Leo Tenth, he had a white elephant from the King of Portugal, which is pretty cool, um, who got it from India. Um, this one's really funny. There was a 16th century astronomer named Tycho Brahe who had a pet moose. And not only did he have a pet moose, but this pet moose had a bad reputation for being a bit of a party animal. Um, that apparently, whenever Tycho would have people over, he could outdrink any of its any of his party guests. Well, I bet these things are humongous. Yeah. Have, you ever, have you ever seen a moose? Largest deer in the world. Yeah, they're the largest deer in the world. Apparently, um, could handle his weight. He could, yeah, handle his weight in alcohol um, until one fateful night uh, after a night of partying, uh, uh, the moose drank too much beer and fell down the stairs and died. Oh man! Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't imagine having a moose in your house while you're throwing a big party. Yeah, and then not only to have a moose in your house while giving, while having a big party, but having the inclination to give it beer, like a drunk moose. Yeah, really? how did that start? How did it start drinking alcohol? Like, how did he figure out? That? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's astronomers are a weird batch for sure. Um, just a few more. Joseph Bonaparte, uh, Napoleon's wife. Uh, his favorite pet was a female orangutan that sat at dinner with them and ate with them. <laughs> Apparently, the orangutan wore this like sort of white cotton dress. Um, it was known for impeccable manners and a love of turnips. So very interesting. Uh, Lord Byron, um, when he wanted to attend Cambridge's Trinity College, uh, was not allowed to bring a dog, um, and he had this beloved pet dog named uh, Boatswain that he was not allowed to bring. So sort of as a to sort of get back to the university, he decided to get his revenge by bringing a bear as his college roommate. Oh, so, they, so they let him bring a bear. Yeah. Or, or maybe he just did it and he didn't even ask. Better Probably. Better ask than permission sometimes. Probably. Uh, one last one that I thought was cool. Apparently John Quincy Adams uh, had a pet alligator at the White House. Um, it was a gift from Marquis de Lafayette. Um, and apparently uh, one of John Quincy Adams' jokes he loved to pull was, he kept it in a bathtub in the East Room of the White House, um, and he apparently got a kick out of bringing um, surprise, bringing unsuspecting guests yes, to, uh, that. to the to that West restroom and and scaring the living daylights out of them with his pet alligator, which is funny. It's fun. It's reassuring to think that John Quincy Adams had a sense of humor. I know that's yeah. a question a lot of people have in their minds. Yeah, they, but he, he never did. Quite knew. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of pet info. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll probably talk, we'll talk more about adoption and the practical world of pet owning. All right. Welcome to the mid show break with our newest segment, 
Tiki time. We are excited to talk about some of our favorite tiki bars and tiki-themed experiences. Yeah, so wind back your clocks because we're on island time right now. We actually have, we're lucky enough to be joined by a guest star and, and tiki expert. Tiki expert and former former season one guest star, um, Danny Brown. You want to say hi to the guests? Guys, it's really just an honor to be back here working with you two. It's been, um, it's been a while. Um, Since our last but, collaboration. But hey... I'm back and it's five o'clock somewhere. Am I right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, actually, uh, Danny has the distinguished honor of being our first mid-show break guest star. We usually do a whole. We usually give people the honor of a whole episode, but um, yeah, we're glad to have you here for Tiki Time. This is a lot of firsts in the room, right, TJ? Oh yeah. So yeah, TJ, you want to get us kick? You want to get us started with your uh, some of your Tiki experiences? Yeah. So I so first Tiki experience that I had, I would say, would be at. Uh, the Edgewater Resort in northern Duluth, Minnesota, mm. uh, where they have <laughs> the tiki capital of the, the yeah. tiki capital of the world. Like, they kind of the tiki belt, northern, <laughs> yeah. northern Minnesota. Northern Minnesota, right along the North Shore Lake Spear. Yeah, the tiki um, belt. But yeah, so I always thought that was really fun to go to, um, especially in the wintertime, because they had an outdoor hot tub, and it was there's about a foot of snow on either side of the hot tub. Um, and some fruity drink, yeah, from the fruity, Caribbean, <laughs> fruity juice for a six-year-old kid. <laughs> um, and then they had they had different tiki pizza, which was just pizza with pineapples on it. It was wooden pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it was wooden pizza. But I have to say, my favorite tiki experience was um, in Treasure Island, Florida, at the Thunderbird Beach Resort. They had a tiki bar right outside there, and the highlight of that trip was the old lady who sang karaoke at the tiki bar for about four or five hours wow. every day that I was there. And she was just going off. Another tiki drink in this hand. Oh, she switched the mic over. Have another tiki <laughs> drink. And she was she was okay. <laughs> she was not not terrible, but I don't know if I'd hire for my birthday or anything. Wait, so there's there's a part of Florida called Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's it's it on like? the it's on the opposite. So it's on the Gulf side. Um, it's pretty cool, pretty interesting. Um, went on some wild late night adventures, uh, wandering around. I was still in high school, but we just kind of wandered around the beach. Um, some guy pulled up to us and he said, "Hey, you guys will you guys want any cocaine?" And I said, um, "And you said I, yes." I said, and "Was thankful." For this <laughs> I said, "I said, <laughs> um, I got a quarter." And he meant, so he said, "May have." Wow. Well, that is sure some tiki experience. Maybe you're that. Maybe you should be the expert, TJ. Maybe we shouldn't have flown Danny in from from Tiki Pensacola. Island. <laughs> yeah, tiki Island. Yeah, yeah, I was doing some. Uh, I was doing a case study out there, and they said it was an emergency that I had to come back for the show. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, it's one of your yeah your, your three year research thesis. Yeah, it's really going to be um, really going to expand the literature of the, of the <laughs> subject. So. And we're thankful for your work, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Brown. Um, you mind giving us a little bit of your own tiki experience? Yeah. So I was growing up in Ohio. I was surrounded by the culture, really. <laughs> um, pineapple pizza, California pizza kitchen, um, coconut milk. Really children of the Co sun. Really, <laughs> yeah. Um, children of the islands. But it wasn't until my crazy uncle from dc came in for christmas and for christmas he got everyone their own genuine tiki mugs that he bought off ebay Whoa. from hawaii so it was pretty cool and then 
he made us special Hawaiian drinks for the morning of Christmas because, you know, in Ohio, it's always, it feels like summer, especially during Christmas. So it felt like a vacation at home, really. Um, I felt like I was there just experiencing um, all of, all of the, the great sights of Hawaii um, from, from Lilo and Stitch to really um, the volcanoes and everything. I got the whole experience in my in my own house in Ohio. So that may, that morning, you guys weren't saying Merry Christmas. You were saying Melakalikimaka. Melakalikimaka, yeah. Which, As the Hawaiians which, say. Which roughly translates to he who is resistant to change is destined to perish. Right, right. Yeah, I forgot you're also a linguist. Mm -hmm. You're just the whole package. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you. And there's just a wealth of Tiki experience in this room. Yeah, um, what's some of yours? Oh, well, thank you for asking, TJ. <laughs> um I am I am a I'm a talk show host on a podcast, so I was bound to, I was bound to say something eventually. Um, yeah, so I think about um, well, actually, Dr. Brown was with me, um, Landshark Brewery in Daytona Beach, <laughs> Daytona Beach, probably the crown jewel of Central Florida. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's I, where coconuts originated from, actually. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I've heard that is true. Um, Daytona Beach has not had a construction project since 1983. From what we saw anyway uh last good thing to come to daytona was hard rock that's right um so yeah there was this great brewery land shark brewery and there was this awesome tiki bar on the beach um and we we, we were waiting for our table for about an hour over um, an hour over an hour yeah it started raining at one point that was the cool thing is like we were at the tiki bar on the beach and you could look out and there was this tropical storm brewing in the horizon like thunder and lightning and they wind. told us to run yeah <laughs> they were there are multiple hurricane warnings they told, they told you to run but due to all the the tiki culture that you guys had experienced you, you know, guys could only stumble yeah, we were like sponges we had to soak it all up yeah i mean i told him, hey look buddy we're from the tiki bell okay we know a thing or two about tropical storms in, in central ohio um Oh, do we? <laughs> oh, do we? Speaking of uh, tiki experiences in Central Ohio, um, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't mention Zumizi Bay or a water <laughs> park. Um, <laughs> Crocktail Creek uh, is this awesome Lazy River adult swim-up bar. Um, they've got this great rum punch there. Uh, actually, Dr. Brown was with me there as well this summer. I was, um, uh, I was furthering my research. Um, <laughs> I was given a grant by the Mearson Foundation to, to Cocktail Creek and really check out uh, what they had to offer. And it was, it was honestly, took my breath away. And all the leaves at the bottom of the Lazy River really yeah. got me in the moment. And, and kudos to you. Not a lot of academics do true field work. Um, you're, you're not afraid to leave the classroom and, and get your hands dirty oh, and I, research. I, you can't stick me behind a desk. <laughs> you can't do it. So, yeah, uh, and you can just, you can grab a rum punch and a tiki cup, sit in a half-inflated, sit in a half-inflated single tube, uh, Lazy River tube. And, and, and listen to Jimmy Buffett covers for three hours. Three hours. And, Jimmy and that's Buffett. what it's all about, really. That's really what it's all about. So that sounds like a great way to uh, conclude. Uh, tiki time. Tiki time. Thank you again, Dr. Brown, for um, flying <laughs> flying in from Tiki Island. Um, we really appreciate uh, the wealth of experience that you have as well as your research. It's really changing the world. So thank you. Namaste, my island brothers. <laughs> and with that, uh, let's finish our talk about pets. Oh, thank you. 
So um, on a little bit more of a somber note, um, it's no mystery to any of us that a lot of pets end up at shelters every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, roughly, according to the ASPCA, it's about six and a half million companion animals uh, end up at shelters. It's usually roughly split right in half between cats and dogs. Yep. Most often because, one, those are the most popular pets. But also, I think a lot of those happen. People get them as gifts. People get them for Christmas or their birthday. And they a lot of times don't understand kind of the – Rigors of pet owning. The rig, yeah, the rigors of pet owning. And so just kind of a um, little bit of a call to action, but the importance of adopting animals um, when you're looking for kind of getting your next pet and giving a pet who was kind of given up um, through no fault of its own, but giving it a new life um, with your family. Yeah, and apparently also according to the ASPCA, around 920,000 animals are euthanized every year. Because uh, they have nowhere to go, so yeah, like yeah. I said, it's an exhortation to uh, if you have a if you have a warm spot in your home and you'd love to you'd love to welcome a cat or a dog or really any kind of animal, uh, look for a shelter. Uh, there's a lot of dogs who need homes who have nowhere else to go. Um, it can be a wonderful way to open to open up your home to an animal in need. Yeah, and um, even if you even if you can't uh, maybe afford to fully adopt a pet, you can always foster pets or yeah, lots of shelters are always looking for help um, around for people to. Uh, maybe take a dog and either help train it um, so it can more easily find a new home or just house it for a little while while they go through a lot or even coming um, to volunteer and either just spend time getting the animals to be more socialized, yeah. walking them, etc. I've done that a little bit um, with some friends who have kind of fostered some dogs, um, go, go over and take them for walks, bring them out to be more around, more around other animals. So they're not as jittery, but also around more people. Um, so they can be more, um, family friendly. Yeah. And if you'd like more information, please go to the ASPCA website. Um, look, look for a local humane society that would have a cat or a dog. Um, and yeah, consider adoption, cats, dogs, um, reptiles. I mean, I don't, do you think there, do you think there are shelters for reptiles or like, frogs like a frog shelter a reptile shelter I, that's a pretty good question honestly i don't think they really are because people usually just dump those in the everglades don't they yeah yeah probably yeah that's kind of why we have an ecological crisis on our hands in florida people just dump i mean that's their piranhas and lakes in ohio and stuff really yeah maybe that can be one of our uh a passion one of our thousand passion right. projects we talk about doing should, on this podcast is the first yeah, the first well, we can investigate once the again, Everglades. Once I, once I get scuba certified, I'm headed straight to the Piranha Lake in Ohio, wherever <laughs> that is, to see if these rumors are true. There was an episode of Monster Quest about that, but we could start the first humane society for forgotten reptiles, <laughs> forgotten for frogs, reptiles. for frogs for humanity, or <laughs> frogs, frogs for homes. Yeah, frogs for frogs for family. Triple F. frogs for family. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, FFF. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd probably get a lot of strange people. Like, I think reptile frog owners are pretty weird, myself included. Yeah, I think I think there's always a like a little bit of a you have in your mind like, oh, what kind of people own certain kind of pets? Uh-huh. In my mind, usually it's bird people. Yeah, bird people. But I feel like frog, reptile, insect people are more like cold, weird, introvert nerds. Versus, I feel like bird people are more eccentric, artsy, kind of that kind of 
it's weird. Yeah, that kind of like a little bit more, a little bit more cuckoo weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to, make a, to make a little bit of a bird pun. Um, and then also like usually cat and dog people like you have like cat people are more introverted a lot of the time or um, just kind of keep to themselves. Um, dog people more extroverted, more social, want to mm-hmm. get out there. Um, and but also, what do you think of when you think of rodent people, people that own rats? Like, I guess there's a difference between hamster rodent people and also like rat and mice rodent people in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I think also, like, I think it depends if it's a kid or an adult. Kids, I think that's fine. Adult rodent owners are probably on the fringes of society. Those are like not even fun, weird, but like, oh, concerning, weird. Like, yeah, like, you can hang out over there. Yeah, like I hope I don't see you on the news, kind of. Weird. <laughs> oh, whoa, <laughs> not nothing against rodent owner, any rodent owners out there. I know we have a very wide uh, listening base, so didn't want to offend anyone. Um, but you got to be a little weird to have a pet rat as an adult, you know? Like, I mean, Ron Weasley had a pet rat, and it turned out to be like it turned out to be a Death Eater, you know? So. Yeah. You, who knows what what kind of furry monster you have in your in your in that little cage of yours? Exactly. So yeah, I think that wraps up the pedisode. That was great conversation. Um, yeah, again, we hope, we hope you guys learned a lot. Maybe you got some ideas of pets that you'd like to have. Um, maybe you're gonna go adopt a bear from the shelter, like Lord Byron. <laughs> maybe bring it to, if you don't have a roommate, and if bring you didn't find a, a roommate on Facebook, bring a bring a live brown bear, like Lord <laughs> yeah. Byron. Um, also mark your calendars. Uh, April 4th is national pet day. So yeah, be sure to celebrate that this year with any of your furry aquatic or reptilian friends. I know Ned, I mean, I I might not be in country, but Ned and I'll probably have some, something to plan. Yeah. We'll have a (laughs) FaceTime. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Um, have a good evening and go pets, go pets, go bucks.